Kiwi late. It's going to be close here. Kiwi's going to beat them all with a mighty run. Piping Lane races up the Manya Peak, takes the lead in the cup. Out wide is Guns in Stormy Seas, but Piping Lane's going to win the cup. But it's Doremus nicely clear in the Melbourne Cup. He's got the cup one. He's holding nothing like a Dane, and Doremus wins the cup. Rain Lover and Allsop, they're going head and head. Rain Lover on the inside. Rain Lover's got his neck in front and won by a nick. Champagne and Jezebel. Champagne, Jezebel fighting back. Jezebel, Champagne, they hit the line. Jezebel wins the cup from Champagne. But a champion becomes a legend. Celebrating Australia's greatest race, the history of the Melbourne Cup. Pelion coming from the clouds on the outside, rising fast is too far in front, however, and in the run of the boat, rising fast, going to win the Melbourne Cup by two legs from Helion. Right fingers goes to Zima, they hit the line locked together. Dead eat! A dead eat in the Melbourne Cup, Zima and Light Fingers. Rain Lover's eight lengths in front, going further away, and Rain Lover wins the Melbourne Cup by ten lengths. Here's Brian Martin. In the history of the Melbourne Cup, we'll welcome everybody when we look at the great stayers that have uh, taken the race. One that comes to mind very, very quickly is the mighty horse Rain Lover, originally from South Australia. He won the Cup in record time by a widening margin in 1968, then came back with a huge weight the following year to win it in 69 in a desperate finish to beat Allsop. The man who prepared the horse is the oldest living Melbourne Cup trainer that we have here in Australia at the moment, and he's a sprightly 89 years of age. I'm thrilled to say I'm here with Mick Rovens. How are you going, Mick? Pretty good, Brian. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, it's 50 years uh, since that great win, the second win of uh, Rain Lover in 69. Time flies, doesn't it? Time flies, and to me, it don't seem that long, but when it comes around the cup time, it just, uh, just seems like, Oh, say five or six years ago. <laughs> Mick, let's uh, backtrack to your um, your life in racing and where it all started for you. You're a miner in Broken Hill. Is that? Uh, is that? Tell us about that. Well, uh, racing in Broken Hill like stopped through the war years, and uh, uh, the war finished in '45, and um, after a couple of years, they started racing up again. And uh, I had a pony when I was 12 and just horse mad. And when it started up again, a fellow called Jim Scott, uh, he, his father trained in Broken Hill. And he went to Sydney and learned a fair bit of a fellow called uh, Barley Payton, which was a pretty good trainer. Well, he learnt me to ride track work. And then when racing started up again, uh, they used to put an amateur race on, or might have seven races, and they have put a race on for amateur riders. Um, and he taught me how to ride track work. Well, naturally, I rode um, rode in the amateur race. I was no Roy Higgins, but rode a couple of winners. And then um, that was in 1948, I think. And then in 1950, I... Uh, put in and got a trainer's license myself. That's a New South Wales uh, uh, licence. And uh, had four or five in work, but just sort of a hobby trainer. And then um, I was apprentice butcher uh, for three years, done an apprenticeship. But then everything was short after the war and uh, the mine started to boom, uh, silver, zinc and lead. And they used to put lead, well, I didn't know, but they used to put lead in batteries and all in car batteries, and uh, they, uh, it was a shortage. So I thought, oh, when I turned 18, 1948, I thought, I'm going on the mines. I think I was getting 25 shillings a week. And um, my mates was getting double, you know. The, I think the mines was banking 20 pounds a fortnight for you. You you take it out, but uh, some old fellas you had to retire at sixty two. Some old fellas never touched it. They ended up millionaires. <laughs> but Broken Hill, if you didn't drink or gamble, it was a very a very quiet life. Most of them was uh, gamblers and two up schools. And but it was a it was a very good place to be brought up. You uh, streetwise. You uh, you toughened you up. 
and then I uh, started to train uh, Broken Hill. Never trained many winners. Brought a couple to Adelaide and uh, won a race or two, just ordinary races. And then used to come to Adelaide for my holidays. You get three weeks holidays at Christmas for the Port Adelaide Cup and the Christmas handicap. And I said to my wife, I said, oh, I'd love to stay down here and learn more about yeah, training horses um, for in the big time. I thought Adelaide was big, you know. And uh, I went to see Bart Cummins, I'll never forget it. And Bart said, no, which them days they was always pretty right for staff. They had apprentices. and So I, it was 1960, so I came back to Broken Hill and, and worked another couple of years and came down in 1962. And in the meantime, my wife's people bought a business in Adelaide. Well, after about three or four months, she missed mum, and so she was one of the main ones that got me to Adelaide. She wanted to go and stay with mum, so I, I said, what am I going to do? If I can't get a job with horses, I'm not working in a factory. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is the early 60s, as you say. You went to Bart Cummings in uh, in 58, and he said he's right for staff, so you couldn't get a job there. Um, so this would be pretty close to joining the stable of Graham Hegney. How did that come about? Well, I came down to Adelaide and uh, a little fella, uh, main trainer, one of the main trainers, well, not the top trainer, but one of the main men on was a little fella called Johnny Salento. Yeah. And a uh, lovely little fella. <laughs> and uh, he told somebody uh, that I was in Adelaide looking for a job. He knew me. He came to Broken Hill with horses. Uh, he used to come up for the Cup Carnival. And um, so I got the mail. Graham Hegney wanted a man. So I went and seen Graham. Started uh, two days later. And I uh, was there for seven years. Uh, well, the first year I was there, uh, won the Melbourne Cup with Gadam Gadam. Uh, 63. 63. Mm. And... Uh, I thought, gee, how easy is this? It just started and won a Melbourne Cup. And uh, so that went good. We, uh, I think the first year I was with him, not just uh, I was with him, uh, the only time he ended he was uh, Bart and Colin Hayes were the leading trainers and Graham didn't have the breed of horses they did. And... Uh, I think uh, see, the first year or second year I was with him, he won the trainers' premiership. So that was a big, big kick for him and a big kick for me. And um, then came uh, a horse called um, Tobin Bronze. Oh, what a champion. Um, Brown, the scrap metal Browns, the scrap metal people, they had a little stud farm up in the Adelaide Hills and they stood a horse called Paramount. And uh, it didn't, he sighed red brass, red, they named them all after metal, red brass, iron ore, and uh, they were handy horses, but not group one or group two horses. So one of the Browners said to this, one of the southern lords, Bruce Glenn was his name, uh, into horses, and he was a good mate of Jeff Lane's. So they said to this Bruce Glenn, um, you know Jeff Lane pretty well. See, can he get us a, a nice horse or a nice mare? So uh, he said, well, there's a mare in the sale uh, in Sydney, in the Melbourne sales, called a Marco. He said, I won the Victorian Oats on her. This is Jeff Lane, which only passed away a few weeks ago. And uh, so they bought a Marco. She had a foal at foot. An infall. Um, we got the foal at foot, broke it in, won a couple of races in the country, Balaclava, Strathalbyn in Adelaide. But uh, when the foal that was inside of her happened to, turned out to be Tobin Bronze. Well, he's one of the best yearlings I've seen in my life. Very, uh, broke him in, educated him, we got him going. And a flashy gold chestnut. You wouldn't see a better looker and 
just presented himself that good. He looked the champion from the day. So we broke him in, and them days they used to have the Fulham Park Plate and the incredible stakes, one for Colts, one for Phillies. Well, he ran in the Fulham Park Plate and run about fifth. And I said to the, uh, one of the owners, I said, don't be disappointed. I said, this horse will win a blue ribbon. Well, it turned out he won the Victorian Derby, Caulfield Cup, Doncaster, two Cox Plates, and it was just, it was a horse highly strung, uh, but uh, you, he was a likeable horse. He was, you could handle him. And in one way, they say, what's the best horse you've seen? Well, I thought the best horse I've seen outside of Rain Lover and Tavern was Tullick, but this horse, only for him being sold before the second Cox Plate, I probably would have been uh, still working in stables. <laughs> and you look at his form uh, in the Turak Handicap in 67, uh, Tobin Bronze, he carried 62.5 and, and one in a canter by two and a half lengths. A week later, he goes to the Caulfield Cup with 61.5 and, and, uh, and he wins. And he beats Red Handed, who then won the Cup the same year. He, he ran in two Melbourne Cups. Um, he ran in the Melbourne Cup Tobin Bronze as a three-year-old after winning the Derby, and he ran unplaced. That was 65, and he ran in the Cup again. Uh, were, were there excuses when he got uh, finished down the track? One, one of them, I think, might have been the first one. He, uh, he was trapped a bit wide or hung or done something, and uh, he... Uh, he, um, but my opinion was he he was good up to a mile and a half, but I think he was like a lot of other horses, just failed to run two miles. Mm, mm, so yeah. whether it was right or not, but uh, he could get a mile and a half easy. Well, uh, another good horse could won two Metropolitans a mile and seven was tails, but. He couldn't win a Melbourne Cup. Yeah, yeah, he just couldn't run that journey right out, and that was no. uh, that was the difficult part for him. Um, look, we'll uh, we'll just take a break, and uh, we'll come back, and we'll start tracking down and seeing what Rain Lever was doing in the early stages, and um, we'll come back after this commercial break. Mick, we're celebrating the history of the Melbourne Cup, Australia's greatest race. Back with Mick Robins talking about the great Rain Lover winning the Melbourne Cup in 68-69 and the lead-up and the horses that were coming through the stables. So at this stage, Tobin Bronze was the, the best horse in the land. Uh, the Americans had, had purchased the horse before the, the Cox Plate, which he went out with, with a bang. And I remember as a teenager being there that particular day and um, like the, the excitement around that horse and, as you say, he was a stunning-looking animal, a copper-coloured coat, and he he had a deadly turn of foot. And he could just dash at the right time, couldn't he? He was a, he was a great horse, Tobin. Well, to me, uh, even uh, breaking him in and educating him, he was just something different. And then the way he raced and, and won races, I think Johnny Miller rode him in the Doncaster, and uh, oh, it was a great performance to get up and win. So he'd been sold to America, and and he, he went across there to a to a different trainer. One of the was it Charlie Whittingham? That's right, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. and a great trainer. But the horse was getting older, and to take a horse away from them days from Australia, to feed them the way they fed, they fed a lot of grain, and when Graham Hegney went over there, uh, he he was surprised. Um, they tie them up in the mornings and give them a couple of dippers of oats and that before even before they work. And uh, he took a little fellow with him called Apprentice Frankie Ryan, and they were cutting up hay with uh, all they had to cut up was, was scissors, cutting up hay with scissors to make it into chaff. And they said he thought it was Christmas. Uh, getting the chaff and, and never seen uh, chaff just all grain well number one that would be a setback as far as racing ability uh, it wouldn't make him go any faster but they just didn't believe in feeding uh, roughage it was just all grain 
So the horse was in America and, and things weren't going well. He didn't seem to be settling in and you're talking about the feeding regime. And then the Americans called on Graham to come over to assist to try and get him back on track. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so Graham went over, um, Graham, his wife, daughter and, uh, and a strapper, went over for three months, which uh, Graham had some pretty good... We had about 30 horses in work and um, wasn't the top in Adelaide, but they was handy horses. He won a, he used to win a lot of races, uh, but the main, the uh, biggest story, well, not the story, the biggest thing he had to do was make up his mind to tell the owners of these 30 horses that he was going to America. And uh, it took, it knocked him about a bit for a couple of weeks, thinking what was to do, you know, uh, uh, later on, I thought the best idea would have done, whether they could have done it them days with the stewards, was put me in charge for three months and make me assistant trainer, which I don't know. I think you could have. I don't know. But he, uh, he didn't do that. He decided to tell them that he was gone. And with uh, out of the 30, I was left with 14 horses. And lucky enough... Uh, one was Rain Lover and had a little horse, a, a maiden, but kept going Shinsorb and he was raised by Gadam Gadam's owner, Malcolm Reed. And I was lucky enough to win the South Australian Derby with a maiden. Bart Cummins had a good horse in it, Testify. I think he was about two to one on and uh, we beat him. So that was the start of it. Uh, I was in Melbourne with uh, Rain Lover at the time and I'm coming back with a saddle, taking them back to saddle Rain Lover up and uh, there was no TVs and them and the courses and over the amplifiers come the South Australian Derby. So a little fella, I didn't know who he was, um, had a little radio to his ear so I stood with the saddle on my arm and listen to the race. And when it got a bit exciting and close, I started to jump up a bit and the little fella, uh, I think he was an Italian, he said, did you back him? <laughs> he must have thought I was mad. I said, I trained him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just a, a lot of luck. Won the derby with a maid, you know, which uh, you'd never heard of things them days. Mm-hmm. So Graham goes, Graham Hegney follows Tobin Bronze across to the United States. You would have thought as foreman you'd be the, the, the chosen one to take over the stable, but half the horses had been taken out of the, the 30 that you had originally. So where was Rain Lover at this stage when Graham Hegney went to America? What stage was Rain Lover at? Well, he, uh, he had a bit of a break. He uh, got hurt in a derby trial in Adelaide. He never run in the derby. And uh, he had a little bit of a cut on the tendon just below the knee. Uh, after he won the first cup, the Americans come out to buy him, and uh, I was pleased they never because they had this had this little bump on his tendon, and they said he wouldn't stand in America. So that that's another lucky break that I uh, had him for the second Melbourne Cup. Yeah. So um, in getting to train him, it wasn't fait accompli. You didn't know whether Clifford Breed, the owner, was going to take him away from the stable? Oh, no. Uh, I he, uh, I run him about three weight for age race. He, he got beat the first uh, weight for age race. I run him in the Craigley Stakes, uh, a little mare called Lowland, which beat him in the South Australian Ledger in Adelaide. Um he was a rain number was a hundred to one, and Leyland, uh, Lay, uh, Leyland was fifty to one. Beat him, a, beat him ahead. So he got beat that day, and then he ran second again in the wait for A's race. And I hadn't won a race uh, until the McKinnon Stakes on the Saturday. So when he won the the Adelaide Cup, Graham Hegney was still here. Oh yes, he was training him then, mm. and. Uh, he uh, won the Adelaide Cup then, and uh, Graham, you know, 
he never got over excited and say you'll win a Melbourne Cup. He's just after he won the Adelaide, uh, the Adelaide Cup as a three-year-old, which was a, a good sign. You know, he's, he knew he was going to run two mile. Uh, he said, he's a chance in the Melbourne Cup, this horse. And uh, then when he decided, uh, told the owners uh, that he was going, well, uh, that's when I... I sort of took over the training of him about June 68, but I didn't, I was doing all the groundwork on him, I didn't get a licence because if I got a licence in June, I would have to get another one in August. So I just left to go to the 1st of August to get me South Australian licence. And then when you come to Melbourne with a horse over the spring, you've got to take out a, uh, or three months licence, uh, the carnival licence. And, and were you seeing the signs of, of course, if he could run the two miles when he won the Adelaide Cup, um, and Graham said this could be the horse that could take him to a Melbourne Cup, yeah. uh, but it was going to be you who was training, as it turned out. And I think he told Johnny Letts the same. He said this could be your Adelaide Cup. The, uh, after winning the Adelaide Cup, this could be a Melbourne Cup horse. Yes, yeah. I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't boast and say this horse will win the Melbourne Cup. He just said... He's a, he'd be a chance in the Melbourne Cup, and which he, well, uh, he was a great trainer. And in 1968, he also had the horse, Bunruddy Castle, that won the Caulfield Cup. Mm. Uh, Rain never run in the Caulfield Cup. He ran fifth. I, I didn't think there was any excuses. He might have been um, trapped a bit wide, but uh, I think he, if he was good enough, he would have won. And... Uh, Bunruddy Castle, for him to win, I think he drew Barrow 24, Mickey Madden rode him, and he just went, just led all the way. Mm. So uh, it was a, uh, probably good to go to America, but it was a, 68 was a bad year for Graham. It was because Bunruddy Castle, as you say, was being trained by Graham. He was an import, a grey, and he, uh, he went to a, a trainer up at Bendigo called Kevin Wynn. And again, this is when the stable was sort of dispersing the horses with Graham going to Adelaide. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty good trainer, Kevin Wynn. And uh, I think uh, we had Copper Wire and a few others, uh, Browns, the Sweat Metal, Tobin Bronze. They went to Bart Cummins and uh, um, cleaned the stable out, really, uh, 30, and I was left with 14. But... Uh, the main one was uh, Rain Lover. And what was the pressure like, sort of heading towards the Melbourne Cup, the first of the two Melbourne Cups? Uh, Jimmy Johnson was now part of the team? Yes, well, I brought a little filly to Melbourne called Rain Jewel. And the first horse I've ever saddled up in Melbourne, uh, Graham was trainer, and I just came across with her, and Graham didn't come over. And uh, Roy Higgins rode her. And uh, I feel the 17, the Elsterwood Stakes, the first race for three-year-old fillies at Caulfield. Well, it was a, a gem of a ride, uh, 17 runners, and he just just got up and won. Well, the owner was so excited, he didn't come over, but he went down to uh, Clifford Reed. He went down to Graham to Stableton on a Sunday morning and... Uh, and they had headlines in the Sunday Mail, Rain Jewel Lands Betting Plunge. And he asked Graham what what that meant, uh, betting plunge, because they never bet. They might have had uh, a, a pound on them or something, but it wasn't a punter. So Graham told me what a betting plunge was. She was heavily backed. So Higgins wrote him a letter and... The letter must have been really good about the horse. She reminded me so much of Storm Queen, which won the Golden Slipper. And so when I brought Rain Lover to Melbourne, Roy Higgins was the first jockey I had a uh, ask, would he ride Rain Lover in the Melbourne Cup? And Roy said, "Look, I'd love to ride him, you know, after win the Adelaide Cup." But he said, "I'm, I'm not." committed or booked to ride anything of Bart's but he said I'm there every morning riding work and uh, it wouldn't be fair to just say to Bart I'm not riding any of yours in the in the Melbourne Cup so I rang the owner and I said uh, no Roy can't ride him well naturally 
Jimmy Johnson winning on Gatham Gatham, his brother's horse, he said, get Johnson. So I got Jimmy and um, ended up, well, Jimmy rode Gatham Gatham, so he rode three Melbourne Cup winners now. The horse won the McKinnon. This is when he was a four-year-old. He'd been unplaced, as you say, in the Caulfield Cup. Um, behind the, the original stable mate, and that was Bunratty Castle. And Rain Lover carried 51-5. He started 6-1 to one equal favourite and ran 6th. Then he went to the McKinnon on Derby Day. Uh, he beat uh, Fuller and Galilee and Fuller, I think, were the placings that particular day. Um, how did you sort of rate him then going into the Melbourne Cup on the Tuesday? Well, uh, I was always told, uh, Bart Cummins, uh, he, Bart didn't tell you much, but he said the good way to learn is look and listen. So when I was working for Graham Henry, Bart used to be at Moorfool, uh, he was training in Adelaide, every morning. And uh, I'd done my job for Graham, worked at horses, but I always had one eye on Bart, what he was doing. He used to stay out in the centre and see every horse after they galloped the work, had to come and see him. They never came straight in to be hosed down or rolled. They had to go and see Bart first. He, uh, a wonderful eye for a horse, never missed a trick. Uh, and he said to me, you're either got to run in the Hotham Handicap or the McKinnon Stakes. And that stuck in my head. So after he got beaten the Caulfield Cup, uh, I decided to run him in the McKinnon Stakes. And uh, after he won the McKinnon, like, I, I thought, well, he's got a chance in the Melbourne Cup. I'm not saying he was a certainty. And a couple of old fellas, they let the... Um, Melbourne Cup trainers first up to get a seat in a trainer's stand so it was an old fellow called Pat Quinlan, I think he was in his 80s and um, and uh, Jim Jim Michelli uh, sitting alongside of me and the horses are going to the barrier and it was a bit of a steamy day and he was sweating up a bit when they went past the trainers the Ray Lover and I didn't think I was ever going to get them to the barrier the t- time you know so they're talking and they're telling me they've seen eight different horses get to the... Uh, it was in front at the clock tower. And I had a look twice. I didn't know where the clock tower was. First time for Melbourne Cup. And uh, eight horses get, uh, get, uh, get the head in front at the clock tower, but not one of the eight win. Oh, so when... When Rainlow was two lengths in front, then four, and then six, then eight, I had a say. So I said, uh, uh, or said uh, worse than this. I said, this is one that's not going to get beaten. <laughs> <laughs> and he did not get beaten, Rainlow. We're going to listen to the call uh, in just a moment. He ran a race record with 319.1. He won by eight lengths. It was a field of 26. Uh, he came from a wide, was it barrier 24 or 5? 24, I think. And I didn't even go. Um, and an old, a good old trainer, Jim Zerke, said to me on the Sunday morning, uh, he said, uh, didn't have much luck with the draw. And I said, oh, I didn't know what he drew. <laughs> I was so excited after winning the McKinnon Stakes. And I said, what did he draw? He said, 24. I said, oh, I always told him. If they're good enough, they'll win from any barrier. <laughs> <laughs> and the margin officially is eight lengths for that 68 Melbourne Cup. But a lot of the good judges reckon it's closer to 10 or 12. Yeah, it could be. I could have been. I, but I, I was just uh, so excited. And uh, even now on the Melbourne Cup day, you know, a couple of days before, um, it's hard to believe that from where you come from, like uh, Broken Hill, if someone said that bloke will train a Melbourne Cup winner, you'd say, what mental aim did you escape from? <laughs> At the furlong, Poland, Rain Lover's kicked away. It's Rain Lover, four, five lengths in front of Fuller. Lowland is third, but weakling. They're followed by fans. But the Melbourne Cup is all over by the shouting because Rain Lover is dashing away. And it's a Jimmy Johnson victory in the run of the post. Rain Lover is streaking on the winner by eight lengths. And what about the celebration after the... Uh such a brilliant win and running running the record in 1968. Do you remember what happened that cup night? Well, 
I was always thought when I seen photos of him, uh, uh, Melbourne Cup, uh, uh, the, the, the trainer and the family, a wife and the uh, uh, strapper and the bill out having a good time. But uh, these owners were a bit different. Uh, only if, I'd never been to Melbourne uh, for a Melbourne Cup Eve or a celebration, but only for Jimmy Johnson, his wife, took me and my wife and a couple of others, uh, I probably would have uh, been at a snack bar. <laughs> and you celebrated with Jimmy and, and, and all the family. Oh, I had a great uh, had a great night. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy knew uh, Melbourne pretty good because he was living here at the time, but uh, Jim and his wife, Nancy, uh, oh, they looked after us and we had a good night. And that was the Cup of 68 and an outstanding performance. One of the great Melbourne Cup wins by uh, Rain Lovett, then trained by Mick Robins. And he uh, he turned up on the final day, which is, you know, it's not too common now nowadays to see a Melbourne Cup winner run on the final day. And he ran in the Fisher Plate and he won again. Won again and... Uh... A couple of trainers said to me, don't get a big head. They said, fail that one on a Thursday. He run four in a week. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, the owner, he uh, he was there for the McKinnon State, he was there for the cap, but went back to Adelaide. Ne- like, never seen him race on the final day. Just left, uh, he, he said, I want him to run, but uh, he th- thought he would have stayed and seen him run a great horse three in a week. I would have stayed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plenty of owners would have, would have. So off to the paddock then after the uh, the Fisher played in 68, he came back in the autumn um, and then he, he quickly, he started first up in Adelaide and then he came back and this was 1969 and uh, across he came and he was running in the Queen's Plate and he won that um, in March of uh, 1969 and then went on uh, to win the Queen Elizabeth, uh, went to Sydney and won the Chipping Norton ran third in the autumn up there, and also second in the uh, Cup in Sydney on the 7th of April 1969. Um, and he carried, I think it was, what, something like 60 kilos, and, and Lowland beat him, the horse of Barts. Yeah, Lowland. She uh, she uh, she beat him into St. Ledger in Adelaide, uh, but she never ran in the Adelaide Cup that year. Bart didn't overtax the uh, three-year-olds, and uh, she beat him in the, in the St. Ledger, and then didn't run in the Mel- in the Adelaide Cup, so that was probably might have been a, a blessing in disguise. Uh, she might have beat him. So that was the uh, campaign, beaten in the Sydney Cup in uh, the autumn of '69, then third in the Queen Elizabeth to uh, Lowland again in Roman Consul, and then to the paddock. And then after this break, we'll come back because Rain Lover has uh, is going to be turning five. He's uh, going to be coming back. And can he come back and win back-to-back Melbourne Cups? We'll take this break. The history of the Melbourne Cup. We're celebrating the history of the Melbourne Cup, Australia's greatest race. Well, the great Rain Lover is now five years of age and first up was going to be in the Liston Stakes of 1969. Um, How was the horse tracking uh, coming back to Melbourne? Well, he had the spell and uh, really... As a three-year-old and four-year-old, he started to develop as a four-year-old, but as a five-year-old, he looked a, a real horse. He had a beautiful head, beautiful shoulder, but fell away behind. And I think not running in the Adelaide Derby, the Melbourne Derby and the Sydney Derby sort of made him. In them days, uh, it was quite common, you could... Uh, give him plenty of hormones and by five year old he really furnished and looked a lot better as a five year old than what he did as a three and four year old and uh, I think uh, the vet used to come and give him the hormones, it was quite illegal uh, uh, quite legal you could could, uh, use hormones which I think really other than uh, blood count and that, that's about the only tonic he had was hormones, and I reckon that made the horse uh, to what he was. He's a five-year-old stallion, and, and what would the hormones do for uh, for the stallion then? Well, I think just uh, b- b- muscles, 
built the muscles up and uh, behind he furnished he furnished into a, a beautiful looking horse where as a three and four year old he just beautiful head shoulder but fell away in the hind quarters mm. and missing not running in the uh, had he had he run in the derbies I think would have would have knocked him about a bit, and I reckon that was a blessing in disguise, him getting hurt in a derby trial. He couldn't run in the derbies. You must have been sort of concerned as to what the handicapper was going to do with him in 69, and he late in August he'd, he'd run third in the list in over seven furlongs, or 1,400. Then he went to the uh, Craig Lee in September, mid-September he won. He went, then won the Underwood, then he ran second in the Turnbull. At this stage, the weights would have been declared... Uh, I think Galilee was top weight for both those years, um, but he still he, he gave you a big impost. What of about nine seven or something? Yes, he. Uh, I thought he was well weighted the first year, eight stone two. I think it was he was got in underweight for age. I think in the first cup, but uh, he caught plenty in the second cup. But uh, probably quite entitled to. He won a weight for age race. Like think big. Won two Melbourne Cups, but he never won a race in between mm. uh, the Cups, right. where Rain Lover carried, uh, won weight for age races, and uh, it uh, it helped put the weight on him. Yeah, and he, as I say, his preparation was good. He had the two wins: the Craigley, the Underwood, second in the Turnbull, unplaced in the Caulfield Stakes, uh, and then unplaced in the McKinnon before the Cup. Any any particular reason then? No. Um, he it was only five runners, I think, in the McKinnon in the second year. And I think he ran fourth in a field of five. Yeah, you corrected even money, yeah. Yeah. Well, even money he was early to he was two to one on. And that's a fella was uh, used to be a little grandstand about a furlong from home at Flemington and a fella called Jack Harris, he owned Golden Black. He run down to the mountain yard to tell me, don't take no notice that race. He said he uh, there was only five runners, but they left Jim uh, Moore, uh, Roy Higgins, and I can't think. They left a little bit of a hole, and Jimmy went in there. And being rain lover, he wasn't used to being looking for runs. He generally came on the outside or in front. So whether that cost him the race or not, but my opinion was if he couldn't, I said to Jimmy when he came back, uh, I said if he couldn't win today at Wait for Age and he's jumping to 9-7, I said I, I can't see him winning on Tuesday. Jimmy just threw the reins over his head and said he'll be better over two mile. So was he trying in the McKinnon? Oh, I... As uh, far as I was concerned, and, and I think Jimmy was too, but uh, whether that just held him up a bit and he uh, missed out, uh, or not, I don't know. But uh, my opinion was, if you couldn't win the McKinnon, if he couldn't win the McKinnon at weight for age and jump him up in weight, it was hard to see him beat them horses uh, like the Red Hand and uh, uh, Big Faloo and that in the Melbourne Cup. And I just thought, on the run. Big Flu got beat too. I think he ran second. Um, Royal Consul, I think, won. Tommy Smith's horse, G. Moore. So you're coming into the Melbourne Cup. How, had he done well on the McKinnon? Uh, this is 1969. Had he done well after the McKinnon over the weekend heading towards Tuesday? Oh, I'd, I'd worked him Sunday morning, give him a trotney canner and uh, worked him on the Monday morning and uh, I couldn't follow the horse, but it was just the, the, the weight and getting beat in the McKinnon. And uh, Bart always said uh, it's the best guide of the lot, the McKinnon or the Hotham. And uh, I thought, well, if he can't, couldn't win the McKinnon, he's going to be battling with the weight to win the Cup. We're coming into the Melbourne Cup. This is 1969, and he's he's an 8-1 chance. He's got um, the big impost of 60.5 in, uh, in kilos. And, you know, you look at Big Falou, he'd, he'd uh, run second to Roman Consul in the McKinnon on Saturday. Big Falou had won the Caulfield Cup on protest in, in the same year, had been beaten in the McKinnon, and he was expected to win the Melbourne Cup. I think he's about 4-1, to 7-2 favourite. What do you recall about that day? Because this is the famous day that Big Falou was found to be nobbled. Um, and I think the publicity and headlines that came out of that particular cup... 
didn't do justice to Rain Lover because it was all about Big Falou being a late scratching 40 minutes before the race. Yes, it was uh, like Bart always always running the McKinnon if he could or the, or the Hotham, but uh, they were trying, but he never sort of overtaxed them or killed them. And my opinion was the way Big Falou raced in the McKinnon, I thought deep down that he would win. But um, about 30 minutes, I think, before the race, uh, come over the amplifiers, uh, late scratching, Big Flu has been scratched. You know, well, it set the, set the uh, course on fire. Well, everyone was saying, gee, bad luck. I think he, he was their favourite to win the, the Melbourne Cup and probably Bart too. But... Uh, uh, deep down, they were saying bad luck, and it, to me, it was good luck because I thought he was the main danger, uh, like the weight, and I thought Big Flu was the main danger to Rain Lover. And you, your horse, uh, Rain Lover and Big Flu, actually both walked down onto the course together. Yeah, well, you, that bigger day, you couldn't you used to walk down the hill to Flemington. It was only a ten minute walk. But this being cup time, they came down in the same float. Okay. And then my strapper did say to me, I didn't like the look of uh, of Big Falu. He was scouring pretty bad, you know, not knowing that he was uh, being nobbled. And uh, well, found out after he was nobbled, but he was scouring, which is a bad thing for uh, any race to be scouring. You wouldn't run. But to be in a Melbourne Cup, well, it was uh, ended up, uh, well, after they found out what happened, he was nobbled and the uh, strapper worked for Bart. He wasn't a strapper in Big Falu, but he worked in the stables. Uh, he went, I think he'd done a few months in uh, jail so, over it. So it was, a, it was a talk of the course and it was a big thing for, for a long time after. It was. It was an ongoing inquiry. It was a bloke called Les Lewis who was charged. He'd worked in the uh, the coming stable. And they'd found that he'd actually nobbled other horses from the stable. King Pedro was another one. Um, and when we say nobbled, he, he, he doped them. He stopped them. Stopped them. Yeah, stopped us, yeah. But uh, um, it was... Uh, well, there would have been a lot of money involved in it. He, he wouldn't have done it for nothing. So he probably would have been uh, uh, bribed by bookmakers... That was a general feeling, wasn't it? Because yeah. Big Falu had got the Caulfield Cup on protest and there obviously were huge bets and double bets from the Big Falu Caulfield Cup, Big Falu Melbourne Cup. Heavy heavy doubles, yeah. Mm. Heavy doubles. And Mick, was that sort of thing going on very often, do you think, back in those days? 50 years ago we're talking about. Well, you could give them a lot of things that you, you can't now and like they swab them for the race and... Uh, um, Oh, there'd be one or two. Uh, um, t- well, I used to call them touched up, and uh, but uh, a lot of a lot of people, big punters, wouldn't wouldn't back a horse for a trainer or a jockey unless they knew they had something. Uh, they could have given them an Aspro where they put another extra thousand on, and it could be an Aspro. But long as they had to know the horse had something. Yeah, it doesn't happen now. <laughs> no, no, it can't happen now, which is good for racing. Yeah, it is. Um, and he really had to work hard with a big weight he carried, as we say, uh, when he won that Melman Cup in 69. It was a, it was the bravest effort, 60.5 kilos. And he beat also, uh, who carried 47.5, a huge discrepancy in weight. Yes, well, when Jimmy came out to get on, of course, the jockeys talk, and he said... Um, Allsop is a very big tip, and find out later, Jack Aldrich, I knew well, he was a very big doubles bookmaker, and they said the word was, if Allsop had a one, he don't know how he was going to pay. Mm-hmm. It was heavily backed in doubles uh, with Bunruddy Castle, uh, with uh, Big Falu. Yeah. He said, I don't know how I'm going to pay. Well, when I went past the trainer's stand, which is a fair way back from the winning post, I said to a couple, it's not bad to win one and run second because I thought Allsop would beat him with the weight advantage, two stone different in weight. 
But Tommy Smith was standing behind me and he had a little radio with um, a plug in his ear. And, of course, uh, they said on radio before the official number went up and he jumped up as high as the ceiling, you know. He said, you won, you won. And I said, really? He said, you won. I think he must have backed him <laughs> because he didn't mind a bet. But uh, uh, I did... And Jimmy Johnson did say, he said, if they went much further, he would have had his head on on the on the grass on the track. It's just the the will to win and a big heart. At the furlong and a quarter now, Olsop moved up on the outside to tackle Rain Lover. They're clear of Tails who can't win. He can't stay. A half furlong left to go. Olsop and Rain Lover. Rain Lover and Olsop. They're going head and head. Rain Lover on the inside. Rain Lover's got his neck in front and won by a neck. Second Olsop, third Ben Lohman, fourth Lock Court. It was a marvellous finish and then he became the first horse to win back-to-back Melbourne Cups since Archer in 1861. Peter Pan had won two Cups, but they were years apart. That's right, yeah. Yes, 107 years. I, yeah, I didn't realise at the time, but and in that 107 years, uh, there were some great racehorses and great trainers. So it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, but Jimmy won on him and then he ran in the, the race on the following Saturday it wasn't called the Fisher it might have been called the Queen's yep. Queen's Cup and the owner was very much English style he loved English racing he loved the Queen and uh, he really wanted to win this after winning, <laughs> winning the second cup he wanted to win the Queen's uh, the Queen's Stakes or Queen's Plate or something it was. But the horse, it did take a bit out of him, the Melbourne Cup. And I was surprised he wanted to run him again on the on the Saturday. And Jimmy was a little bit inclined to take him out at the barrier. I heard this. and uh, And I think... Jimmy would have been quite in his rights to get him taken out. He wasn't lame, I think, but probably lethargic. And um, so he started and got beat. And then we spelled him and brought him back. But the whole thing, the worst thing that happened to me was when I had to tell Jimmy he wasn't riding him in the Sydney Cup the second time. The owner said, uh, I don't want Johnson. So whether it was over the, the ride in the Queen's Plate or not, I don't know. He rang me one night and said, I don't want Johnson. And then I wanted to give him a couple of runs in the Wait for Age before I took him to Sydney. He rang me back two days later and said, I don't want Johnson on him in, in, in Melbourne. Put P. Highland on him. Well, that broke my heart, really, to break, win two Melbourne Cups win for you. And only for him, I don't think he would have won the second Cup, only for the way Jimmy rode him. He rode him the same way he's rode him in the, in the first Cup. And, it, like, Roy was a good rider. He rode for me and Harry White. I think the horse got to know Jimmy and used to wait for him just to to jump around on him. Uh, well, they, Sir Roscoe Smith called him the line tamer, and uh, which was unfair. <laughs> but uh, that was the only bad thing with Tobin Bronze and Rain Lover was when I had to take Jimmy off of winning two Melbourne Cups. And Pat Highland came and rode him in his last season in the autumn when... Jimmy was taken off him and he uh, he won the St George in the autumn of 1970. He won the Queen's Plate and then the famous two-horse race, Big Falou, Roy Higgins and Rain Lover, Pat Highland. And that was on the 14th of March 1970. And what a great race that was and we still hear the call and there was a half head between them. Yeah. And, and, and it was amazing how that race actually happened. Yeah. Uh, them days... Uh I used to, there was no computers and then and I went over to Caulfield to, on the Thursday, the acceptance was coming out and I walked over and did get the acceptance in the office and uh, 
there was, I don't think there was a fourth prize in the day, but it was first, second and third, and third prize would have been good money. And I was surprised there's only two or seven, and uh, ended up a two-horse race. Exciting race, wasn't it? Ah, oh, it was good, and the way... Uh, the way Bill Collins called it, uh, I think it was Bill Collins. Uh, Bert Bryant. Bert Bryant. The yeah. way Bert Bryant called it, uh, about Roy Higgins' wife having a baby, and uh, <laughs> put goose pimples in you. <laughs> but uh, no, that was the only, uh, I'm not saying Jimmy would have won on him, but I think Rain Lover was, got that used to Jimmy riding him. Uh, Jimmy won. Uh, uh, he was a good rider, a great rider, but he wasn't as pretty as Pat Highland and uh, Roy Higgins and Harry White. But he used to jump around a bit, you know, on yeah. and back, and I sit forward, support. Yeah. Now creeping up close behind it, Big Palu. Higgins is only going to give it about a length and a quarter start as they come past the three. That's nearing the home turn. By gee, they've got me getting uh, tingles in the heart as they come around the turn. Two great horses about to have a struggle here. Rain Lover one in front of Big Palu. Big Palu is tracking Rain Lover. Holland had another peep over the shoulder. Still, Big Palu hasn't come out. Now he does at the two. Big Palu is out after Rain Lover. He's got within three quarters of a length, now a half length, Holland's gone for the whip on Rain Lover, Big Falu drew level on the outside, Higgins went for the whip so did Holland, the whips are cracking Big Falu's got his head in front, I think the champ has gone, on the outside Big Falu's got a long head in front Rain Lover coming again, Big Falu Rain Lover, they go to the line together oh, photo, photo Big Falu has won it by a nose. And after the, um, the two horse race when he got beaten a half head he went to Sydney, uh, George Moore jumped on him, he won the Autumn Stakes, he was twos on, then he was unplaced in the Sydney Cup, and he carried 62, he ran eighth, and then third in the Queen Elizabeth uh, behind Pan Vale, a horse at 80 to 1, and, and then it was over, that was the end of the career. No, uh, I think YG Moore got on him in Sydney was uh, Sir Frank Packer was a good... Um, good um, mates with uh, or good friends of the owner Rain Lover and he was a pretty big punter Sir Frank Packer and he used to uh, um, was pretty good friends with G Moore and I think that's how G Moore got on him in the Sydney Cup but uh, I think he had nine stone 11 in the second Sydney Cup and uh, he won uh, he won the autumn stakes on him on a Saturday, G. Moore, and he said, uh, it'll be hard to beat Monday. He used to have to run the Sydney Cup on the Monday, but they had, I think they had two or three inches of rain on the Sunday night in Sydney, and with nine stone 11, he just got hankered. He couldn't get, he couldn't lift his feet out of the mud. And uh, uh, I was surprised when the owner told me um, he was going to retire him because he was pretty sound and uh, whether he would have run him in another Melbourne Cup or not, I, I think he probably could have, would have been uh, weight-wise uh, what he got. He, I think he carried more weight the second, uh, more weight than what uh, Maccabi Diva carried in the second Mel yeah. Melbourne Cup, which a mayor, they do get a allowance for being a mayor, but... Uh, it was a, it was a big jump. Tell me, uh, just in conclusion, and he was only five when he did retire after the autumn of uh, of his fifth uh, racing life. Um, the owner was he a generous owner, Clifford Reed? No, well they never. They had a lot to say. Not how to train the horse. Never told me how to train him. Uh, only a fellow called Sam. Evans trained Rainbird and he couldn't get over a couple of times that I hadn't galloped Rain Lover over two miles. He said, oh, Sam Evans used to gallop Rainbird two miles. I said, but not actually two miles, but I said, the way I work him, uh, half pace, even time from different barriers and and work home a mile, mile and a half. But I said, don't generally, uh, don't go out and just gallop two miles flat out. It's not my way. I've been taught to train. But it's only said. Uh, it's the only said thing he said about training. But 
uh, he uh, liked telling jockeys how to ride them. Uh, they had a, won a lot of races in Adelaide and they had a lot of trainers too. But uh, if if you jockey didn't ride him the way they thought should have been rode, they wouldn't be on next time. Uh, they had him terrified. Did you get it? Uh, so was it much extra uh, in your pocket outside the percentage? No. Uh, I was that pleased with the cup. Uh, I mean, it was a big thing, but uh, after... Uh, it all boiled down, paying um, um, provisional tax and, and travelling exes. And, but uh, I think they thought a sling was what you put your arm in and <laughs> never heard of slings. And uh, someone said, oh, they only, only give two things away, a homing pigeon and a ring, and they both come back. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you retire from training, uh, Mick? Um, I went to... Uh, Little fellow, I was on my way back to Adelaide, and uh, I, uh, David Balfour rang me and said, uh, uh, oh, "My wife passed away about twenty-seven years ago," and he said, "Would you like to come to um, over to Singapore?" And I said, oh, "I'd love it," you know. He said, "You know, you had been through a hard time with your wife and." Uh, so I went to Singapore and, oh, I loved it. David was there for eight years, I think. He was nearly leading trainer, but they like, like the Aussies and uh, to be there, but they don't like to be on top. And I think he, he got within two two wins of being leading trainer and he got a couple of uh, um, inside positive swabs. I think it was inside jobs. So he wanted to make me assistant trainer. He used to come to Melbourne for the sales in Adelaide and Sydney. So he applied for a licence and I was nearly 60 then and they wrote back I've still got the letter and said uh, seeing that Mr Romans is, number, is nearly 60 and uh, he's overqualified to be a B trainer uh, we uh, we recommend that we we can't give him a B licence. So uh, that was the end of Singapore for me. You uh, you spent a bit of time, we're here talking to you down at Tony Noonan Stable on the uh, peninsula down here at Mornington. Very tranquil place, a very happy place. Uh, older stables, but you, you seem to be really comfortable down here. Yeah, well, I was going, after I come back from Singapore, I, I was, uh, then my wife passed away. Uh, uh, her passing away I sort of you couldn't do what you're uh, too young to put in the home so I sort of nursed her for quite a while and then when she did go uh, passed away I thought I'd go back to Adelaide and I ran into Tony Noonan at the races one day at Fleming with Quentin Scott and uh, introduced me to him and a few days later Tony rang me and said would you like to come down and he said I've got a young family and come down and I said oh I'm sick of horses Singapore fixed me up and <laughs> he uh, rang again so I said alright I'll come down and so I came down for a couple of weeks and had a look around and it was different um, Theo Howard's down there Gary uh, Lee and Gary Carson, they uh, it was all they called it a little New Zealand. It was like a little Kiwi, and uh, some of the things like not what they done, but putting the horses out in the yards and rain and like New Zealand style. I thought, oh, that's not my way of training. So I hung around, stayed another few weeks, and I thought, oh well, I met some nice people down here and friends and. And uh, I thought, well, if I go to Adelaide, I've got to start off again. So I thought I might as well stay. Uh, coming down, I said, I'll stay a month. So the month has turned into about 25 years. So it's been a long month. But I've enjoyed it. And Tony, well, uh, it turned out he's just like a son to me, really. And uh, they treat you one of their own. So it's it's great. It's a great place down here. And I got grandsons and a daughter and a son-in-law up in uh, the Wimmera and I spend probably half the year up there with them. So 
everything's worked out beautiful and um, you know, I've been taking the Melbourne Cup around for about 10 years. Uh, that's a great uh, honour really uh, to uh, go to retirement homes, schools, hospitals and uh, you get a kick out of it, get their photo taken with the cup and uh, to meet like that we're doing this today with Brian Martin, uh, he was in Adelaide for a fair while, I got to know him well and it's uh, really it's a privilege to uh, be able to talk uh, about racing and about the Melbourne Cup because um, I always think now, it never got rich out of it, but uh, it was something that uh, all trainers want to do and all jockeys want to do. If they get interviewed now, first thing they say, win a Melbourne Cup. So, Well, you are a part of history now and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you uh, today about the great rain lover and um, where you've etched yourself in the, in the, the wonderful fabric of, uh, of this Melbourne Cup. Um, and it's, I'm like you, it's just with great pride that you take the trophy and, and share the stories. And that's what the Melbourne Cup's all about, sharing the stories. Yes, Brian, and uh, thanks very much. Good on you. Mick Robin's talking with us on the history of the Melbourne Cup.